Turn with me this morning in your Bibles to the Old Testament, to the book of 2 Samuel. Today we will be in 2 Samuel chapter 23, and next Sunday we will conclude our study in the book in chapter 24, and then our commissioned missionary John North will be with us and sharing the word with us the two weeks after. So today we are in 2 Samuel chapter 23. Remember with me that chapters 21 through 24 form the conclusion to the book. And our human author of the book has this in mind. He wants to complete his picture of King David. Throughout the books of Samuel, 1 and 2 Samuel, there is a unifying theme, which is a question. Who is able to reign on the throne? Who's capable? Who is capable to sit as God's representative on the throne of Israel? Well, we saw for sure it wasn't Saul. Saul was self-dependent, not God-dependent. Saul did what he wanted to do, not what God wanted him to do. But when we came to David's life, we see David as a picture of God's ideal king. Now, David sinned too, and David is going to die. And throughout the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel and then 2 Samuel, as we come to the end, we're still left with a question mark. Who can sit on God's throne. Who's qualified to represent God on the throne? And as David here is coming to the end of his life, and he's still asking that question, one thing is sure. David is confident about the future. He is confident about the future. And what a message we need to hear today. When we live in a declining culture, as we look around us and we see uh, the any kind of moral fabric that once has been possibly somewhat part of our country, it just seems like things are rapidly deteriorating. And we can look around us and say, what Judeo-Christian ethic? And we can look around us and say, these are scary times. And yet David... As he looks forward, says, I'm confident. I am confident. And he's confident for two things. Because of two things. One, the covenant promises of God. Remember, a covenant is like a binding agreement. And David says, I look forward to the future with confidence because of the promises of God. And secondly, he is confident because of the mighty warriors who undergird him. So as we look through the chapter, look for those two things. David's confidence in the covenant promises of God and David's confidence in the mighty warriors who undergird him. I will read the chapter in its entirety. You can follow along in your copy of the scriptures. Second Samuel chapter 23. Now these are the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, declares, The man who was raised on high declares, The anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel, the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. 
The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men righteously, who rules in the fear of God, is as the light of the morning when the sun rises. A morning without clouds, when the tender grass springs out of the earth, though through sunshine after rain. Truly, is not my house so with God? For he has made an everlasting covenant with me, ordered in all things and secured for all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not indeed make it grow? But the worthless, every one of them, will be thrust away like thorns because they cannot be taken in hand. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear and they will be completely burned with fire in their place. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josheb Bashabeth, a Tachamonite, chief of the captains, he was called Adino the Esnite because of 800 slain by him at one time. And after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there to battle and the men of Israel had withdrawn. He arose and struck the Philistines until his hand was weary and clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to strip the slain. Now after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hararite, and the Philistines were gathered into a troop where there was a plot of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines, but he took his stand in the midst of the people, defended it, and struck the Philistines, and the Lord brought about a great victory. Then three of the thirty chief men went down and came to David in the harvest time to the cave at Adullam while the troops of the Philistines were camping in the valley of Raphaim. David was then in the stronghold, while the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. David had a craving and said, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water from the well of Bethlehem, which was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zariah, was the chief of the thirty. And he swung his spear against three hundred and killed them, and had a name as well as the three. He was most honored of the thirty. Therefore he became their commander. However, he did not attain to the three. Then Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of valiant men of Kabzeel, who had done mighty deeds, killed the two sons of Ariel of Moab. He also went down and killed a lion in the middle of a pit on a snowy day. He killed an Egyptian, impressive man. Now the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but he went down to him with a club and snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, did and had a name as well as the three mighty men. He was honored among the thirty, but he did not attain to the three, and David appointed him over his guard. 
Asahel, the brother of Joab, was among the thirty. Elchanan, the son of Dodo of Bethlehem, Shammah, the Herodite, Elikah, the Erodite, Helez, the Paltite, Ira, the son of Ikesh, the Tekoite, Abiezer, the Anathothite, Mebunai, the Hushathite, Zalman, the Ahahite, Baharai, the Nephthite, Heleb, the son of Baana, the Nephthite, Ittai, the son of Rabbi of Gibeah, the sons of Benjamin, Benaiah, a Perithonite, Hedai of the brooks of Gaash, Abi Aban of the Erbathite, Amsveth, the Bahumite, Elabah, the Shah. Sha'albanite, the sons of Joshan, Jonathan Shammah, the Harite, Ahayim, the son of Sha'ar, the Ararite, Elphadat, the son of Ashbai, the son of Ma'akathite, Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gilanite, Hezro, the Carmelite, Parai, the Arbite, Igal, the son of Nathan of Zobah, Bani the Gadite, Zelek the Ammonite, Naharai the Barathite, armor bearers of Joab the son of Zariah, Ira the Ithrite, Garib the Ithrite, Uriah the Hittite, 37 in all. I have two grandchildren on the way, and I'm not encouraging my adult children to choose their names from 2 Samuel chapter 23. David looks to the future with confidence. He is confident because of the covenant promises of God. And he is confident because of the mighty men who undergird him. I'm part of Rotary International. We have five or six Rotary clubs across the metro area here in Cedar Rapids. The club that I am part of, which is a service organization, we do uh, business people get together and, and we just uh, do service projects throughout the city and throughout the world. My club is very involved in international student ministries and we have, or international student exchange, excuse me. We have a student right now from Spain and he is a part of Washington High School and I am his counselor, meaning if anything goes wrong, he's supposed to call me. So I did a home visit this weekend and I talked with him periodically and I was rather alarmed when he informed me that he was going out for American football. Now, this is a nice kid, but he's small framed and he has never once in his life played American football. And I know what high school football looks like today. And all I could picture was this kid getting crushed. Like going out there and all these mature, huge, 245-pound players want to show it to the new Spaniard and just smack him. I was fearful for him. And sometimes... We feel like the new exchange student getting ready to be creamed in this culture in which we live. It can be kind of scary. We start looking around us and saying, I can't believe what is happening in our school, what's happening culturally around us. What's going to happen to us as Christians? We need chapter 23. Because chapter 23 reminds us that we will be victorious because of two things, the promises of God and the mighty warriors who undergird each of us. 
And that's what we want to see this morning in chapter 23. We will begin by looking at the first seven verses, which are once again a poem of David. And in these seven verses, we can see this principle, that believers are sure of victory because of God's everlasting covenant promises to his people. God has made promises. Those promises are the bedrock of our hope. It's what gives us confidence, just like David has confidence here. Now notice with me in verse 1, it says, these are the last words of David. Someone's last words are important. Picture here a dad or a mom wanting to pass on last words to their children. They know their passing is imminent. And what they say at the end has weight, it has import, it's what they want to leave in the thinking of their children. And here David wants to leave these words in the thinking of those who follow after him. And he chooses words of encouragement, not in his own ability, but his encouragement comes from his confidence in the everlasting covenant promises of God and his confidence in the mighty warriors who undergird him. This is what he says. These are the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, declares, the man who was raised on high declares, the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. Now, David refers to himself here as the anointed Remember, what we hold in our hands is a translation of the Bible. The Old Testament was written predominantly in Hebrew. The New Testament was written predominantly in Greek. And the goal of the translator is to come up with an English word that is the equivalent to a Hebrew or Greek word. There are a few words in our Bibles that are not a translation. They are actually a transliteration. And that means that in the English Bible, it's not translated with what the word means, but they actually take an equivalent English consonant or vowel to equate it to the Hebrew letter. The word Messiah, as we see it in our Bibles, is a transliteration. It's the exact Hebrew word brought letter for letter over into English. Here, David says that he is the Messiah, but our translators translate it the anointed one. That's what Messiah means. Messiah in Hebrew means the anointed one. In Greek, it's the word Christos or Christ means the anointed one. David here says he is the anointed of God. He is, at this point, the Messiah. There are several distinctions that David makes in this section about being the anointed one. Number one, you have to be appointed by God. If you are going to claim the title anointed one or Messiah, it has to come by appointment. Thus in verse 1 he says, he is the man who was raised on high, meaning an outside person elevated him. 
God elevated him. He has been appointed as the anointed one by God. We'll see down in verse 5 that the anointed one must trust God and God will rescue him. We also see in verse 3 that the anointed one has to be a just ruler, a righteous ruler. So David here, as the anointed one, literally the Hebrew word is Messiah, says this, verse 2, The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. David here is claiming to speak the very words of God. This would be an Old Testament equivalent to verses like 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 or or 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 21 where the New Testament authors said that they were born along by the spirit of God meaning as the old or new testament writer wrote they were actually writing God's words David is claiming the same here he's saying that the the holy spirit is guiding his words that his word God's word is on his tongue this is what he says, verses 3 and 4. He gives affirmation that Israel's ruler is God himself. Notice he says, the rock of Israel spoke to me. That's the true ruler. David represents him. But then he says this, that the ruler of God, when he rules underneath God's empowerment and is ruling rightly, it's like sunshine in the morning. It's like a fresh rain that comes through and then after the rain leaves, the sun comes out and you have that sweet smell of rain just past. That's what it's like to be under a righteous ruler. David goes on to say in verses 6 and 7 that those who aren't righteous, worthless men, all they have waiting for them is judgment. End of verse 7 says they'll be completely burned with fire in their place. But the righteous have hope. In fact, David talks about his hope in verse 5. Truly is not my house so with God. Isn't my lineage, my descendants, my dynasty, aren't they just like being underneath a righteous ruler that the sun it's like it's like the sun coming out in the morning it's like the fresh smell after the rain we've got confidence i've got confidence in the future for my sons who will reign after me why does david have such confidence because it says in verse 5 for he god has made an everlasting covenant with me Now, those two words, translated everlasting covenant, are special words. They are used in reference to Noah, to Abraham, to Moses, to David, all referring to those binding promises that God made to those men and to the people of Israel. For example, in Genesis 9, 16, when God says, I won't destroy the earth again with the flood, I'll give you the rainbow. It's an a sign of an everlasting covenant that I am making with you. Here, David says, I'm confident about the future because of God's everlasting covenant with me. Now, to go back and remember that to which David refers here, we have to go back to chapter 7. 
And remember back in chapter 7, starting in about verse 11, God made some binding promises to David. For example, we'll pick it up in verse 11. Even from that day, I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. Not a house with lumber, a dynasty, a family, a lineage. I will raise up your descendants after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Forever, I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. And ever since this time, after God said that David's descendant would be a son, Israel has been watching for this anointed one who would be considered to be a son of God. In fact, God says down in verse 15 that his loving kindness, his chesed, his loyal love will never depart from this one. And then down in verse 16 it says, Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. David, of course, David says, I've got confidence. God's made promises to me that that he has a, will establish my throne forever. And my son or my son's son will be the recipient of his loyal love. You see, 2 Samuel is the bedrock material upon which Israel started looking for a Messiah that would be considered the Son of God who would come after David. That's why we can come to the prophets, for example, in the book of Isaiah chapter 11. And the prophet Isaiah starts talking about this one who would be a descendant of David. He says, Then a shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse. A branch from his roots will be will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And he goes on to talk about this descendant of Jesse, who is David's father, this descendant of David, who will reign over God's kingdom, that that wolf will lie down with the lamb, that there'll be time of peace, this kingdom of peace. And the prophets started looking for this anointed one that we see clear back here in Second Samuel. And David looks forward with confidence Because he knows that God's going to honor his promises. That there will be a future for his line. That he can have confidence because God is worthy of confidence. Because God always does what he says he will do. This past week, I had to find my trust documents that I set up years ago so that if my wife and I would both be killed, that um, our children would not immediately become heirs to what we left behind. Can you imagine my, at the time, my 16 or 17-year-old being the recipient of the insurance money that I had? It would not have been a good thing, I don't think. So we set up a trust so that the boys would have to wait for funds and the trustee would take care of them up to that point. Well, those of us who have aging parents and have seen our parents pass away and have watched this thing play out know that 
while we can have confidence in a trust or a will, it's not totally worthy of our complete confidence. How many times have we seen a parent pass away and all of a sudden one child says, I don't think this is fair. I think I'm going to hire an attorney. And they go to battle against their siblings and there's this massive dysfunction that takes place in anger and hatred. Well, I thought it was sure we had a document. Well, we do and we kind of don't. How would you like to have a document that was absolutely sure that that you can have complete confidence in the declarations of that document, in the individual promises of that document? There's only one way. It's one that God makes. And David here says, I've got confidence because God made these promises. I I have confidence because it's part of his very nature, his character, that I can have confidence because he doesn't lie. He always does what he says he'll do. I've got confidence looking to the future because of the promises of God. Now what's exciting for us is that when we come to the New Testament, for example, Romans chapters 9 through 11, we see that as believers in Jesus Christ, as the church, we enter into the benefits of these covenant promises that God has made to the people of Israel. We don't replace Israel, but we enter into the benefits of those covenant promises. For example, when you go to Jeremiah chapter 31, God tells Israel, I'm going to write my words on your heart. And we know that that happens by the indwelling Spirit of God. God says, I'll be your God. You will be my people. And God says, I'm not even going to be cognizant of your sin anymore. Your sin's going to be removed from you. We enter into the blessings of those promises And so just as David can say, I've got hope for the future, we can too. We read out of 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57, a few minutes ago, and uh, and I'll just highlight that verse again. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57 says this, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the apostle writes about his ministry, but thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ. When I uh, go between my home and the office, I always listen to scripture on, on, on CD. And this week I've been listening to the book of Ephesians, and usually I'll just go over a chapter maybe six, seven times, just listen to it over and over and over on successive days. And chapter Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 struck me this week. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We can't even fathom all of that, but I tell you this, it means there's victory. It means that regardless of what happens to you, regardless of what happens to me in our physical lives, today, five years from now, ten years from now, it will be victorious through Christ. Nothing 
touches your life or my life apart from the permissive will of God, and as we depend on him, God will use us in building his kingdom, regardless of the circumstances which we face. And here David says, I've got confidence. I've got confidence here at the end of my life looking forward. Why? Because of the covenant promises of God. Well, there's a second reason why David has confidence. And it's found in verses 8 down through 39. And believe me, we're not going to go through a detailed look at each of these names. But David says, I've got confidence because of the mighty men that have undergirded me. And if you'll notice with me in these verses, we see that that our victory as believers is not only because of this covenant relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ. Our, our victory is not only because of our personal relationships with the Lord, but also because of the mighty warriors of the faith who go to battle by the power of God. And just as David did not live his life alone, in solitude, on an island, we as Christians cannot think that we can live out the Christian life in isolation. We need each other. And David here looks at those who have served with him as undergirders. In verses in, and down in verse 18, he identifies two groups of people here. The 30 and the 3. And the 30 actually is more than 30 men. We know from verse 39 that there's 37 names here. So some have passed away and others have been replaced. But these, this is a listing of those mighty warriors who undergirded David. Now, David's points are twofold. Number one, he sees these warriors as sources of blessing that God has brought into his life, instruments of grace. Notice verse 10. He arose and struck the Philistines until his hand was weary and clung to the sword, and the Lord brought about a great victory that day. It wasn't the warrior. It was the Lord working through the warrior. Look at verse 12. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot, defended it, and struck the Philistines, and the Lord brought about a great victory. So David sees these undergirders as those that God chooses to use as God's instruments that undergird David. David could not have seen what he saw in his rule by himself. He needed the undergirders. The second thing that David shows us in these verses is that when these faithful warriors served, they did it as an act of devotion or an offering. And ultimately, it was an offering to the Lord. I love verses 13 down through verse 17. We find David encamped with his soldiers, thinking about a drink. A drink out of the well at Bethlehem. And yet, the Philistines are at Bethlehem. And David, without thinking, just makes a comment and says, Oh man, would I love to have a drink of that fresh, 
cool water from the well at the gate of Bethlehem. It'd be like me in the boundary waters for a week saying, oh, I would just love to have a cold Coca-Cola. Oh, that tastes good. And David is just saying, oh man, would I like to have a bottle of Bethlehem water right now. Three of his mighty men heard him say that. They risked their lives. They went through Philistine territory. Philistine held Bethlehem at the time, got the water and brought it back to David. And what does David do? He pours it out. And we look at that and say, oh, you poured it out. These guys risked their lives. Why would you pour it out? I can't believe you poured it out. Look at verse 16. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water from the well of Bethlehem, which was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. You see, that's what's happening. David viewed what these men did as ultimately an act of devotion to the Lord. It's a holy offering. Holy meaning this is sacred. This is set apart to the Lord. I can't just take this lightly. I can't just drink it. So David pours it out as an offering to the Lord. David sees these undergirders in their mighty acts that they have done for him is not just Guys who are faithful to him. He sees it as acts of offering to the Lord. My wife Barbara and I enjoy going to Iowa City periodically on a Friday evening. We will go and have something to eat. We will walk around the Ped Mall. There's some very unique people in Iowa City on a Friday evening. In the last two times we have gone, there have been jousters. I don't know what this is all about, but if you look over toward the old capital on the big grassy lawn, there are young people dressed up in jousting attire having sword fights. I haven't ventured over to ask questions like, what are you guys doing? But I I don't know if they're playing out some Xbox game or what, but There's some kind of a jousting subculture going on. They somehow think that they are modern-day warriors of some kind. And i just kind of keeping my distance, but it's intriguing. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Because Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, reminds us that we do need modern-day warriors. In fact, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says this, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. David says, I'm encouraged about the future because of the covenant promises of God. And I'm encouraged about the future because of my undergirders. You know what? Each and every one of us in this room have the opportunity, the privilege, the responsibility 
to be an undergirder to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Every time someone says, I'm going to give of myself, and I am going to teach the children of Faith Bible Church, that is an undergirder. That is a holy offering set apart to God. Every time someone in this room knows that someone else is hurting and takes the time to actually take out a piece of paper and write a note and put it in their box or send it to them in the, in, in a, in the mail, that's an undergirder. That's a holy offering that is ultimately service to the Lord. It's a source of grace. It's a source of encouragement. Every time one of us, whether we are here or maybe we can't even get out to the church assembled anymore because of our health, but every time we lift up a brother or sister in Christ in prayer, we are a mighty warrior undergirding our brothers and sisters in Christ. Why is David so encouraged? He's encouraged because of the everlasting covenant promises of God. Why should we be encouraged? By the everlasting covenant promises of God that find their fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Why is David encouraged about the future? Because of his undergirders. Why should we be encouraged about the future? Because each and every one of us have undergirders in here and we can be an undergirder to someone else. We can be that source of grace, that instrument of God. That just as those three risk their lives to go get David a bottle of Bethlehem water, so also we have the opportunity to serve brothers and sisters in Christ. And just as David viewed that as an offering that he poured out to the Lord, so also when we give of ourselves to our brothers and sisters in Christ, it's an offering poured out before the Lord. You see, we find confidence, even though when we read the paper or look at the nightly news, we can say, man, we are going to get hurt. We're going to get creamed here. We can have confidence because God has made Covenant promises. And because we don't live the Christian life on an island. We have brothers and sisters in Christ who offer up sweet-smelling offerings in their service within the body of Christ. You may be here today and you're not sure if you are right with God or not. You don't have confidence of being in relationship with him. I would encourage you after the service to stop back in our prayer room, which is directly behind you. One of our elders will be there. They can give you some material that you can take your Bible, look up verses that tell you that you can know for sure that your sin is forgiven, that God is your God. Or maybe you're here today and you're feeling beat up. I would encourage you to let some undergird with you this morning. Stop back and just... Spend some time in prayer. Father, we thank you that we can be sure of victory because of the promises of God and the mighty warriors of the faith who do battle. We thank you that we do not have to face the future with, with dire fear, 
but we can face the future with confidence because of your promises and because of the mighty warriors of the faith who come alongside of us as they do acts of service to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.